You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Lee Wong. Well, congratulations if you're one of the 24 individuals who made a decision to get baptized. And I want to give a special thank you, a special congratulations if you are somebody who invited that individual or have been praying for that individual. So can we get a rowdy city tribe thank you and congratulations to everybody involved. My name is Lee. I'm one of your tribe teachers. And today we're kicking off a series of sermons, a collection of conversations that's going to continue our theme for the year to evangelize. That is to have hearts that are transformed and inspired to take action and have the most meaningful conversation you can have with somebody, a conversation about Jesus. In order that everyone in our tribe would win how many? One, right? Everyone would win one person into the kingdom of God. Now, just a quick backstory about this series of sermons that's kicking off today. Several weeks ago, our lead teacher, Doug Robbins, invited me to lunch to talk about our 2020 teaching calendar. And while we were engaged in conversation, he said, Lee, what do you feel God is impressing on you to teach to our tribe? And then he asked me to consider, Lee, when are you going to be available to teach again? And then he gave me a couple of weeks to respond to him, but I speak Doug, so I know that he really wanted me to get back to him ASAP. And so that very night, after everything had settled at our place, after enjoying time with my family, I grabbed my laptop, I sat on the sofa, closed my eyes, I took a deep breath, and I asked God, Lord, what do you want your people of City Tribe to know? Lord, what would you have me say to them? And what happened next is why I'm so pumped for this series. Like, have y'all ever seen those movies where there's this character who all of a sudden can see words and numbers and pictures in the air, right? And then epically in the background, there's this orchestra that's playing as he or she pieces all the puzzle together to figure out his or her next steps. Well, something like that happened without the orchestra, of course. But as I started to type on my keyboard, I started to just see all of these scriptures that were coming to mind. And I had all of these teaching topics that were just lining up in a sequence of progression. And I knew the dates they were going to be taught. I knew who in our teaching team was going to teach and when. And let me tell y'all, I am not that smart. I am not that creative. I am not force sensitive, and I'm not more special than any one of you guys in here, but I promise you, I had lined out, outlined in great detail the next few months of our City Tribe teaching topics in, get this, under 10 minutes. All right, and so I was so pumped, and it was late at night, so I couldn't text Doug, and so as soon as 8 a.m. hit the next morning, this is what I sent him. And for those of y'all listening on podcast, I will read it. Good morning, Doug. He responds, good morning. And I said, are you ready for this? And he said, yes. Christine's pregnant again. No, 
I got a series upload last night. And y'all, that's the only way that I can describe this, okay? This series of sermons, this collection of conversations is an upload from the Holy Spirit for you and for me. And so here's what I believe. I sincerely believe that over these next couple of weeks, People's lives are going to be transformed. It's going to be transformative for you. It's going to be transformative for me. And I believe that this series is going to be trajectory setting for all of us for the next season of our tribe. Now, if you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're going to be challenged to level up in how you live out your faith as a evangelist. If you are what we call a spiritual investigator, I believe you're going to be encouraged to discover more about who Jesus is and why we believe what we believe, what our faith is all about. So y'all got to get here. You got to get here every Sunday when you can over the next couple of months. If you can't get here, catch up with us. Let's learn together via our various City Tribe platforms. Listen to the Apple podcast. Catch up on our City Tribe media YouTube channel. However, you're going to stay connected. Let's engage with one another. One last item of housekeeping before we begin. I want to engage with you guys. If you have questions about this series, about the teachings, you can text this number, 210 920-0405. Again, for those of y'all listening via podcast, 210-920-0405. Send in your questions about the teaching, not about the growth you have on your neck or the mole that you got. I can't answer any of that stuff. Well, all right. City Tribe, are y'all ready to download what God has uploaded for us? Yes. Let's try that again. City Tribe, are y'all ready to download what God has uploaded for us? Yes? All right, let's go. We're going to jump right in. The foundation for our series is found in Matthew's account about Jesus. If you have your Bibles, if you have your digital Bible, go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Now, Matthew, he was a first century tax collector that accepted Jesus's invitation to follow him. Matthew was an eyewitness to the miracles that Jesus performed and the teachings that Jesus taught. And as a tax collector, he had acquired a particular set of skills over a period of time that allowed for him to accurately record tons of information. And so scholars believe that out of the four accounts about Jesus's life collected in our Bible, that Matthew's captures a word-for-word transcript of what Jesus said. So if you want to memorize what Jesus said, go to Matthew. Now, Matthew, he was certain, right, as an eyewitness that Jesus was the God King that had been promised in the Jewish scriptures, which is our Old Testament. And so he had a very specific purpose in mind in writing. And so he wrote to a Jewish audience in order to convince them that Jesus was this King that was worth following, that he would bring rest and relief into the world and people would feel refreshed if they accepted his invitation. Now, where we pick up in his account today, Matthew chapter 9, here is what, here's what's been going on, all right? So Jesus had started proclaiming that God was ready to establish his kingdom, his physical kingdom on earth. And so he traveled city to city, village to village in what you and I today call the Eastern Mediterranean region. And so he had gone about just extending an invitation to people saying, hey, follow me or You're invited. You're invited into my kingdom. You're invited to participate in this kingdom movement. And having encountered tens of thousands of people, Jesus's movement, it gained major momentum. And his influence, it increased incredibly. Now, if that had been you, if it had been me, we would have been thrilled at that, right? 
And we get excited over a few likes and mentions on social media. So surely Jesus saw the massive crowds as a massive win for his movement, right? Well, seeing this firsthand, here is what Matthew recorded. Matthew said, seeing the people, Jesus felt what? Compassion. If you have your Bibles, circle that word, underline that word, highlight that word. That is foundational for our series, compassion. Now, the compassion that Jesus felt, it's not like the compassion that you and I would feel whenever we hear a crying baby. It's not the compassion Abuelita feels when her baby's crying, like, ay, pobrecito, what's the matter? It's not that kind of compassion. And the compassion that Jesus felt, it's not like that fleeting feeling that we get whenever we see a heart-wrenching scene in a movie, like, okay, spoiler alert right here, when Mufasa died in The Lion King, and you're like, I felt that, man, I felt that. Not that kind of compassion. In fact, the compassion that Jesus felt, it was even more intense than what many of you and I felt a couple of weeks ago. So last month, the world was rocked when we learned of the news that basketball superstar Kobe Bryant tragically died in a helicopter crash alongside his 13-year-old daughter Gigi and seven others. And for me, learning of this, it was stomach-churning, sickening. Right? I've never met the guy. I'm a diehard Spurs fan. But think about Vanessa, his wife's new reality. Right? She has three young girls to raise by herself, and she's going to forever mourn the loss of her husband with whom she had overcome so much. But not only that, she's going to forever mourn the loss of her baby girl, Gigi. And the Bryant daughters, they're going to grow up never having a relationship with their sister. They're going to grow up without a father that's going to walk them down the aisle. The infant, she's never going to have any memories of her dad. And for me, that was just devastating. Like, my thoughts were so consumed by the news. I woke up every morning thinking about the families. I went to sleep thinking and praying about the families. My wife, who's a counselor, she would help me process through this over several periods, uh, several days. And fans, fans all around the world, they were grieved. They were so grieved that they were compelled to honor Kobe and Gigi in some way. Right? So murals popped up everywhere. Memorials popped up everywhere. Players played with this insane intensity, that Mamba mentality. They were running up scores. And then some were calling for Kobe's numbers on his jersey to forever be retired. Others were saying Kobe needs to be the new logo of professional basketball. Fans were consumed and compelled. And this is what Matthew meant by compassion. Jesus' thoughts were so consumed by what he had seen that he was compelled to create change. Why? What had Jesus seen that consumed his thoughts, that compelled him to create change? Well, Matthew recorded it this way. Because they, the people that he saw, were distressed and dispirited. Some translations say helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Now, if you're like me, you probably do not know what a sheep without a shepherd looks like, right? So consider instead 
that the people that Jesus saw, they were a lot like stray dogs out of an ASPCA commercial with that Sarah McLaughlin kind of music, right? And they had overrun the streets. Now, this phrase, distressed and dispirited, harassed and helpless, it conveys this idea that the people's emotional pain, it was so burdensome, it was so heavy that it had severely disfigured their bodies. Their faces were likely long from having never smiled. Their foreheads likely had frown lines. Their hair, their nails, their skin was unkempt due to lack of motivation and malnutrition. Their posture, it presented this sort of powerlessness. It communicated that they felt a sense of powerlessness, low confidence. Everybody had felt like they needed rest from their situation. They wanted to feel refreshed. And everyone had been discarded as worthless stray dogs that no one cared about. And so Jesus felt compassion, seeing his creation not experiencing what they were created to experience, seeing them in emotional and physical pain. But that's not the only reason Jesus was consumed by what he had seen and compelled to create change. If we follow Matthew's account a little bit further back, it's still in Matthew chapter 9. At the very beginning of chapter 9, we see that Jesus had an encounter with a very influential religious group known as the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, they were these self-proclaimed workers for God, and they believed that serving God required a perfect performance of 613 laws, 613 rules. And part of their work, they felt, was to police people in order to perform those 613 rules. Well, Jesus, Jesus challenged this. And so he said to them, go and learn what this means. And then he quoted a scripture. A scripture uh, in the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament, that these Pharisees, they would have had etched in their minds from the time that they were 12 years old. It was a declaration from God himself. And so Jesus quoted this. He said, I desire mercy, loving kindness, compassion. I desire mercy over sacrifices, over your religious rules, over your system, over all of these rituals. That is what I Want. You see, their strict policing, it ultimately made people feel unwelcomed and unworthy and uninvited to experience God's rest. Jesus even equated their religiosity and their exclusivity with sharing the same mind, sharing the same purpose and work as the devil. And so it's as if Jesus said, look, I know you think you work for God, but the reality is you're working against God, your love for rules, it's only inducing shame and guilt and worthlessness. Your religious policing, it's evil. It's keeping people from experiencing the rest in their souls they were created to experience. And so Jesus felt compassion. He was consumed by what he had seen his creation experiencing. And he was compelled to create change because we were created to experience rest. And now, maybe you were made to believe that God prefers a perfect performance of rules and regulations, and you've never felt good enough. You've never felt like you could measure up. And maybe you have acquired a certain criminal record, or perhaps you have 
cheated in some form or fashion on a person or on your taxes, or maybe you live a certain lifestyle, or there's certain clothing that you did wear or didn't wear, and you were condemned by church people, and they were like, uh-uh, stiff-armed you. You're not welcome here. You're not invited here. Well, listen, first of all, I am sincerely, sincerely sorry that that was your experience, because that doesn't at all reflect God's heart. And so this is what you and I all have to get today. It's what Matthew wanted his Jewish audience to clearly get. Jesus is clearly compassionate. He sees your situation. He sees your circumstances. It's stomach-churning, sickening. Jesus himself said it multiple times. He desires mercy. He desires loving kindness. He desires compassion. You were never supposed to be treated the way that you were treated, and he wants to give you rest. He wants to refresh you. And Jesus, in the same way that he said as he traveled in the first century going around, he would say to you today, you're invited. Exactly as you are. You're invited into my kingdom. You're invited to experience my rest. You are invited to participate in my kingdom movement. And so regardless of political affiliation, gender, class, crime, creed, regardless of any of that, because we believe that so fervently, you're invited here. Your weird deal is invited here. Your weird neighbor invited here. Your coworker, man, you guys are invited. You're Teens are invited to city youth. Your kiddos are invited to kids city. Tell the person next to you, you're invited. Say it with a little more conviction, you're invited. Consumed by their condition. Compelled to create change. Jesus, he turned to his disciples that had been following him. And what he said to them next, scholars believe, was this sort of missional motto that he said everywhere he arrived. Anytime he got to a new destination, he would turn to them and remind them of this. Anytime he arrived at Sakaar, whenever he arrived at Tyre, he would say, the harvest is plentiful. Now, for you and me in 2020, there's not a lot of weight to that statement. We might think it's artistic. We might think it's poetic. Because we have H-E-B curbside and we have Uber Eats delivery. But when Jesus said this, in the first century, wheat, it was the basis of the eastern Mediterranean region's diet. It's estimated that Jesus' disciples, they ate over 400 pounds of wheat a year. That's got to do something for their gluten allergies. I don't know. But 400 pounds of wheat a year. And remember, Jesus said this before there was any sort of advances in farming, before there was artificial lighting, before there were tractors and greenhouses, before food could be grown year-round. And so if you wanted to eat, if you wanted to eat your favorite food, you had to act fast. You had to gather the crops before the harvest perished. And this is exactly what Jesus' message was to his followers. It was this collaborative, all-hands-on-deck kind of message about the multitudes of distressed and dispirited people. Just so we're clear, all right, let's define the harvest really quickly in this context. So the harvest that Jesus is talking about, it's people who are ripe for spiritual rest, people who are distressed and dispirited. They are ready for a life change. They are ready for somebody to say to them, you're invited. Let's together follow Jesus. 
And so in effect, Jesus charged his disciples anytime he arrived anywhere. Look, lift up your eyes, open your eyes. There are countless people who are ready for your rest. They are ready for relief. They are ready to feel refreshed. The time to gather is now. The time to say you're invited is right now unless these people perish forever. And unfortunately, what was true then is still true for us today. The harvest is still plentiful. There are still countless people whose emotional burden is severely disfiguring their souls and who feel discarded as worthless. You and I, we just have to open our eyes. Last year, the National Institute of Mental Health reported that 17.3 million people experienced severe depression. They were carrying so much emotional pain that they lost interest in daily activities for two weeks, a major depressive episode. According to Gallup Research, seven out of 10 individuals that you work alongside, they are miserable, they're unsatisfied, they're unfulfilled at work. The harvest at work is plentiful. And according to the CDC, The U.S. suicide rate, death by suicide, has increased 40% over the last two decades. The harvest is plentiful. Y'all close your eyes for just a second. Everybody hands to yourself, no funny business. I want you to imagine your Monday morning routine. Whether you get on a bus to go to school, you get on a bus to go to work, whether you get in your car and hop on the highway to go to work, to go to the gym, the grocery store, the daycare, Maybe you walk into your neighborhood and you have a group that you meet with at the park. And I want you to imagine that you arrived at that destination and alongside you is Jesus. He would say to you, the harvest is plentiful. Go ahead and open your eyes. There's a harvest in our neighborhoods, in our classrooms. There's a harvest on our military installations. There's a harvest in the tech block downtown at Geekdom. There is a harvest everywhere. Whenever we're scrolling through social media, the harvest is still plentiful. But here is the problem. It's the same problem that Jesus surfaced in his day. He went on to say, but the workers are few. Now, here's what's amazing about this statement. Like if you didn't appreciate the scriptures before, if you didn't appreciate Jesus before, you're going to love how gangsta Jesus was with this, all right? So when Jesus said this, in the region that he traveled, there were over 480 religious schools, 480 institutions where people could study to become rabbis, workers for God. And simultaneously, there were 6,000 Pharisees, 6,000 leaders who understood the rules and the regulations of their Jewish tradition. On top of that, in Jesus' day, throughout his lifetime, there were over 18,000 priests that operated their temple system, that conducted the sacrifices, that performed all of the ceremonies. Now, this didn't even include the various other Jewish religious sects, all right? There were countless people who claimed to work for God. There was no shortage of people who claimed to work for God. But Jesus, he wasn't concerned with workers who wanted to prioritize performance and rules over people. He wanted workers who would demonstrate, what did we say? Compassion, 
loving kindness, mercy, evangelists as we've called them, people whose hearts are transformed, who are inspired to take action, who will have the most meaningful conversation you can have with somebody, people who are compelled by others' condition, by distressed and dispirited people, and they are compelled to create change. And while today there are countless other churches, there are countless other communicators, far better communicators than me. There's countless podcasts and sermons that you can listen to all day, every day. There are still few evangelists who will go into the world and gather the harvest saying, you're invited. You're invited into the kingdom of God. You're invited to participate in the kingdom movement. And just for good measure, just so Jesus was abundantly clear, he later said it this way. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. If you're not gathering, Jesus said to his disciples, you're scattering. If you're not gathering, you're scattering. If you are not inviting people to experience his rest and relief, you are keeping them from it. Just like the Pharisees, he said to them. And so what are we to do? with countless people in our world today who are ripe for relief, who are distressed and dispirited, how can you and I do our part starting today? Well, listen to what Jesus said next. And if the person next to you didn't open his or her eyes when we did that exercise, now's the time to wake them up, right? Tune back in because this is the crux of our conversation. This is the foundation for where we're going over these next several months. Pay attention. Jesus said, therefore, because of all of this, because of all the distressed and dispirited people, because of the harassed and helpless people in our world today, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out the workers into his harvest. That's another word to circle, underline, highlight, make note of this. Beseech, not a word that we really use in our day to day. It's a little archaic, but really it just means to feel a pressing need because there's some sort of lack that's going on. And so because of this pressing need, you have to make this urgent appeal. You have to plead. For example, many of you guys have heard me share that this last year, my wife Christine and I, we welcomed our firstborn child, Zoe Anastasia, to the world. And yeah, it's pretty dope. Yes, yes. It's, uh, it's been one of the most exhilarating seasons of our life to date. We're enjoying it for sure. However, as many of you know, have experienced or are experiencing or will soon experience, it can be very exhausting. And right now, Zoe is at an age where everything goes in her mouth, like hair, lint balls, crumbs from God knows when and electrical cords. And so whenever I'm with her all day, every day, it's like I'm playing defense, right? My high school basketball coach, he would have been super thrilled with me. And on top of that, right now, Zoe's teething. And so right now she's waking up every night for the last couple of months, every like at most two hours, every hour and a half, every hour sometimes. And so Christine and I being full-time working parents, man, we're just like walking zombies, right? The only reason I'm up here is because of caffeine and adrenaline, and I guess the Holy Spirit, you know? <laughs> and so, hey, side note really quick, some of you students, some of you youth, like I know sometimes you think your parents are just mean, they're ugly people, your teachers are terrible. I'm telling you right now, sometimes that's not the case. They're just tired, always tired, all right? <laughs> Give them a little grace. So because there is a pressing need for sleep, Christine and I, we beseech, God, please just give us some energy. God, please let us get some rest. God, send Nana to come change some diapers. Please, God, we need, 
some help. And so a pressing need makes us create an urgent appeal. In other words, we beg. Right? I know here in the United States, we don't like that word beg. That's really just what it means. We beg God. And this is what Jesus was trying to tell us, that we need to beg God to send more workers. But check this. All right, this was transformative for me. This was life-changing, all right? Our English translations, it doesn't capture the tone and the manner with which Matthew recorded this word, beseech. All right, so it, grammatically, beseech, it wasn't this like soft, subtle suggestion, like, hey, this is something you might want to try at one point in your life, right? It wasn't for casual consideration. This word, beseech, the manner and tone with which Jesus stated it, it was an imperative It's like, no, you have to do this. It was a commandment to do this at once. It's the disciples' duty to daily, desperately beg God. And so I'm going to tie a bow on our whole conversation here really quickly. By the way, if you're taking notes, write down daily and desperately beg. That's key. So Jesus was literally sick to his stomach, seeing the condition of his creation, He wanted everyone to experience his relief, his rest. He wants people to feel refreshed in their souls. And so he commanded his followers to desperately and daily beg God to send out workers, beg God to light a fire in Evangelist to go out and gather people by saying, you're invited to participate in this kingdom movement. And it wasn't religious, rigid police that he was seeking. It wasn't those kind of workers. It was workers who were what? passionate and merciful that would extend loving kindness to people to gather the harvest. Now, what does this mean for you and for me today? You're invited. Today and for the next couple of months especially, I am inviting you to join me in doing exactly what Jesus commanded us to do, what he charged us to do, to daily and desperately beg the Lord of the harvest to send out more harvest workers. Y'all, some of y'all have been following Jesus for a really long time. I've been studying the scriptures for over a decade, and I just recently discovered this, and it transformed my prayer life. I didn't know this was something we were supposed to be begging God for daily, and it has transformed me. I'm doing it every single day. And so here's one of the ways, if you want to get intentional with me to do this, you can set an alarm on your phone. For 9.38 a.m. or p.m. or both, right? Just this alert. 9.38 signifies the scripture address where Matthew recorded Jesus' charge to us. Let's teach this to our children at a very early age. And if you are a spiritual investigator and you don't know what to pray or how to pray, I mean, really, it's not that hard. I'll show you what to pray here shortly. If you are somebody who doesn't even believe in God, You've got nothing to lose by joining us and asking like the universe or some energy out there to send more compassionate people. I'm sure we all could agree we need more compassion. And so here's what desperately and daily begging sounds like. Jesus gave us the words to say. It doesn't have to be flowery. It can be this succinct. Lord, send out compassionate workers to gather your harvest. Lord, send out evangelists, people who will Simply say, you're invited. Come with me and let's together learn what it means to follow Jesus. Now, what would happen? What would happen if God actually responded and sent out workers from 
this tribe. I mean, it's obviously a prayer he wants us to pray, so it's something he wants to answer. What would happen if God multiplied the amount of evangelists that are in our tribe today? What if he only answered by sending one? William Wilberforce, he was a British lawmaker in the 1780s. And by his own admission, he wasn't a good man. He was a hedonist and not a humanitarian. He especially didn't care about the nine million African men, women, and children who had been enslaved by the British Empire. That is until 1785. In 1785, he learned of a different kind of Jesus than what he was taught as a youngin. He learned of a Jesus that was compassionate, that desired mercy and loving kindness, and he was compelled by this. He was compelled to devour the scriptures on his own every single day. And over time, God transformed his heart. And so he started to use his parliamentary platform to create change. He was moved with compassion. And he eventually penned a book called Real Christianity. And in it, he wrote, this, it says, is it not the glory of Christianity? Is it not the purpose of Christianity to extinguish malignant passions, to put an end to terrible things like slavery, to curb violence, to make us what? Compassionate, there's that word again, and kind, and to render us active and useful and basically carrying out our duties, social and civil duties. Wilberforce's work. It ushered in the first ever era in human history where open slavery was not the norm. He's credited more than any other individual with ending the slave trade in the British Empire. And his work, it sparked the momentum. It lit a fire in the people of the United States to eventually abolish slavery in our country. All we need is one. One compassionate, merciful loving, kind individual who is compelled by people's condition to create change. Now, this year, I know we've said that our prayer is that everyone would win one. But I want to take that even further. And for those of you who are going to join me in this invitation to pray daily and desperately, let's pray that God would just light a fire in one to win everyone. That there would be one person who is just so compelled, so moved by who Jesus is and what he wants for all of us, that they would work to win everyone, that they would invite everyone. And so let's practice right now. Would you guys join me in praying as we desperately beg the Lord of the harvest to send that one? God, Lord of the harvest, we see that there are countless distressed and dispirited people in the world around us. People are ripe for relief, ripe to feel refreshed. The harvest is plentiful. God, would you just send one? Would you send one compassionate, merciful worker to gather your harvest? Would you light a fire in the people in this tribe, whether it's one person or if it's all 1,400 of us, to be so enthused by you that we would say you're invited to everyone desiring an invitation. Speak to us, Lord. Move for us, God, 
We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen. We're glad you're a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.